of those pieces that you need to understand are critical as you start a nonprofit because it's a business. It was two years of figuring things out. I called all the organizations that would talk to me in our sector, Mission 22, Green Beret Foundation, Navy SEAL Foundation, whoever I could, hey, what are your best business practices? Where are you guys falling short so that I could start learning? It was a totally new world for me. Is that much of a, is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 80 features Tom and Jen Satterley. Tom is a retired command sergeant major of Delta Force, and Jen is a former creative advertising executive. They have since co-founded All Secure Foundation, a nonprofit that assists special operations, active duty, and combat veterans and their families in recovery of post-traumatic stress through education, awareness, resources for healing, marriage retreats, and PTS resiliency training. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. All right. Good snowy cold morning. Yes. Tom and Jen Satterley, welcome to Veteran Made. Snow day here. Yeah, you got us right on cold, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, it is not as cold here in Richmond as it is where, where you are, but um, it is. Uh, it is still a snow day, and our four year old got her first snow day and got to make a snow angel yesterday. And we had a snowball fight, and we ginged up on mom and, and threw some snowballs at her. So we had a we had a good time, and now she's running around the house today. So it's uh, this is a fun day to record. How are y'all doing? Good. Those are fun winter days yeah. too. Those are the best when you have they kids are. that can actually get off school and it means something to them. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. Ours yeah, are no grown. Yeah. They just get to sleep a little bit longer today. So right. that's all that means. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I appreciate y'all joining. Um, I, I'm sure most of the audience knows who you are, but I would love if we could just give a brief primer, um, kind of who y'all are, you know, where and when you serve, just so we can ground ourselves and then and then we'll move we'll move quickly into um, the the building of the nonprofit and, and we'll chat about what y'all are building. Beautiful. You wanna go with your background real quick? Okay. Yeah. Tom Satterley, you know that already. Uh, I spent 25 years in the army, 20 uh, in the unit and loved it. Loved every minute of it, but every minute of it also tore me down. And so we ended up doing some contracting work after I retired, which also tore me up. And then, uh, and I'm starting a nonprofit with my wife who actually kicked off the whole process. Yeah. So Tom and I met, um, in 2013, I was doing realistic military training at that time as, um, I guess, stateside combat camera without the combat part. So just the camera. Um, and in 2016, we started the research phase of all secure foundation and 17, we formed, um, and became a 501c3. So that's us it. in a nutshell. I love it. We've got both, both of, both of, easy. it was all that yeah. easy. overnight. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Both of my worlds kind of colliding here with military and filmmaking and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited to have this, this conversation with y'all. Um, and, and I, I want to kick it off by, you know, Tom, something that you mentioned at the top of, of, of the podcast that, that you two host and, and something that I tell operators such as yourself, you know, privately when we have these pre-calls before, before episodes like this um, is, you know, this is not a cool guys tell cool guy stories podcast and your podcast, as you say, is not just another cool guy podcast. Um, and so I'd love to just kind of, you know, dive in a little bit and just talk about what what it is that you're building and and through the lens of of who you are as a human and who you two are as as a partnership and as a team. Um, because, you know, as I told you, like, I, I'm not interested in the video game you. I'm interested in the human you, the professional you. Uh, the nonprofit leader, the creative, all these things. And obviously Jen has a skill set that you don't have and you have experiences that she doesn't have, but you've kind of found a way to bring them together um, in, a, in a way to build something to help the community um, and, and a certain subset of our community move through some challenges that, um, that, that they face. Um, what was the first tactical step of, of like, of building it? You mentioned research phase like what was the first step and what were those first conversations like between the two of you saying, we've got to make something here? Yeah. I looked at her like she was nuts. Um, 
you know, the whole process started with the awareness of the issue. I think Jen coming on to realistic military training exercises with us allowed her to see the training, you know, in full swing, minus the enemy shooting back, um, the real enemy shooting back. Obviously, we had simulations and things like that. So she got to see the breakdown, the difficulties, and then talking to the individuals, she got to understand the problems behind the scenes that nobody gets to see, not even on the team rooms. You know, the pretty girl with blonde hair, they start sharing their stories. The next thing you know, it rolls into my family, my children, and this and that. And that's when Jen, Jen identified a need to fill, something that was missing, right? And when there's things there, another popcorn stand across the street, you don't need that shit, right? Unless you're just trying to make money. So she found a void of what was missing in the healing process of humans, really, right? But it started off as military-based. And I think what we found out during the whole thing was, well, we're just humans doing a different job, really. Yeah, very, very true. And I think you're 100% right. It was, we just had um, another nonprofit leader in the military sector ask us, we were at dinner and he said, how did you guys know to, to hit this nail on the head? Cause like you just nailed it. It's like, you've, you found the spot. Um, how did you do that? And I said, it was directly from you. It came directly from the military service member. And it just took me about a year of listening, maybe three years of listening. But <laughs> really when we decided that we wanted to start a nonprofit to help, you know, the guys come home, I just started, like, I literally spent a year just talking to guys like, where do you need help? Where's the void? What, what piece is missing for you? Um, and it didn't matter if I was with a SEAL team or a Green Beret team or a PJ team. It just didn't matter. The answers were the same. They were universal. And it was, I don't know how to put the monster back in the box. I don't know how to take this rage and this anger and not bring it home. So I'm really good at my job. I'm good at combat. I've got that part, but I just don't know how to be a good husband or a good father. Um, and I heard that from nine out of 10 guys. So for us to start the foundation, we had a good base of there's a hole, there's a need, um, and it's not being fulfilled, not in the military sector um, as much as they're trying or not trying. I don't know. Um, and even in the nonprofit space, there wasn't a ton of uh, organizations that were supporting the veteran or active duty member and the spouse equally. So that's what we saw and got to work. Yeah, it's such an interesting, it, it's it's become this <clears throat> really interesting through line on, on this particular show. Um, and the the particular challenges that, that you and your team are addressing, um, you know, obviously I've, I go off on a slight tangent here and bring it back. And if I need help, <laughs> help me there. But I focus primarily on, on creative creativity and entrepreneurship, right? And the military uh, does not necessarily prepare bomb loaders, flight line guys and gals such as myself to, to move into uh, film school and go see success in Hollywood and then scale in advertising. That's, there's not a straight line there, right? I somehow figured out how to do that, which is why I started the podcast, to have other com conversations with other creatives and entrepreneurs who somehow also scooby-dooed their way through. And we can maybe strategically map this together as a community and figure out like, okay, here's a graph. Let's let other people kind of uh, climb whichever ladder they need to to figure it out, right? Um, on the on the emotional side, relational side, that's another huge piece of transition. Um, and, and it's a little bit different than the professional, right? Because you have tap as you get out um, and they're terrible. And, and the, the, the kind of glib joke that I've been making recently is good. They should be bad. The DOD is great at fighting wars and it should be great at fighting wars. It actually should not be great at preparing you for life on the outside, because if it was focused on you on the outside, it would not be focused on fighting wars and defending the home front, right? Now, what's different is that um, folks who have experienced trauma obviously need help in ways that the DOD should be probably providing. And that's a discussion worth having. So when I make that make that quip, it's, it's not in that arena. It's more in that kind of professional transition arena. That being said, it is still true, right? And so you, you, you have found yourself filling a void and it's probably better that you're filling the void than the DOD or the Department of the Army or Department of the Air Force or Homeland Security, whoever it might be, right? So all of that to say, how did you start to navigate the, the nonprofit sector? Because there are also bad actors in that sector as well. What, what kind of research did you do, not just on the issues that you were, that you were uh, addressing, but also like the, arena, the new arena you were going to operate in? I think that's why we gave ourselves a couple months versus I think a lot of people are like, I want to start a nonprofit. 
and I'm going to go file tomorrow because I've got this great idea. And, you know, I think this is going to work. It's going to serve the community and in whatever community that may be. But I think you got to back it up and you've got to get into a really heavy research phase and understand not only like what the voids are, like what Tom and I really work to do is where's there a need that we can come and step in? Because like Tom said, there's a million organizations that take guys hunting or fishing. There probably doesn't need to be another one. So um, really, where's the whole, where can you serve that community in a meaningful way, but also do due diligence. We talk to attorneys, many of them. Um, how do we file correctly? What do we need to be doing with the state and federal governments? Um, all of those things, all of those pieces that you need to understand are critical as you start a nonprofit because it's a business. This is a business that we run. Um, and so I think a lot of people get into it like I want to help, um, but they're not taking the business or the entrepreneur side as seriously as they need to be. And they get over their head. We hear it all the time. People will call and they're like, oh, my God, I'm 50,000 in the hole personal money that I've spent to start this nonprofit because I didn't realize of the legal fees or the filing fees, or I needed to get a website done and I don't have the skills to do that. So I had to pay someone to do that. Oh, and then I needed to get my logo and all of these materials. So starting it up, you really need to approach it. Like I'm starting a business and what steps do I need to take so that I'm prepared when I hit that go button. And I mean, for us, it was two years. It, it, it was two years of figuring things out. Phone calls. I called all the um, organizations that would talk to me in our sector, Mission 22 CEO, Green Beret Foundation, Navy SEAL Foundation, whoever I could get on the phone with um, and ask them, hey, how is how, what are your best business practices? Where are you guys falling short? So that I could start learning. It was a totally new world for me. I came from the creative arts. I was in film and advertising. I did run my own studio. So for me, I did have 13 years of running a business and understanding some of that. Um, some of those pieces of starting something up, some of the failures that I had along the way. Um, but I don't, I can't emphasize enough that you really need to go into a heavy research phase and fundraising phase before you even hit the go button. She had extra, uh, she'll, she'll poo poo it a little bit, but like you said, Scooby doing your way through, right? That's, that's, yeah. if you're really serious about what you're doing and you're doing it for the right reasons, you'll Scooby do your way all the way to the end, right? You won't quit. A lot of guys quit when they find out it's it's difficult. It's more it's it's a real job. I mean, it's it's not just oh, I want to give, 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 and help, right? You have to eat too. You have to buy things to help him. So, her marketing and background and film photography helped her, so we could design the own website, right? She knew about research. You can't just go market without knowing who you're marketing to. So she dug in, found out this is just a regular job that you can do, and you have to take it on like a regular job. And she applied all of that. And and I would tell people in the military when they're getting out, like, you have the same skills to do this. Just don't quit. If you really want to do yeah. it, you've got planning, you've got research capabilities. Tenacity. Just, just stick drive. with it, right? And if you drop out, it wasn't for you. You know, it just wasn't for you to move on. Right. Yeah. What, um, what as a part of the research and, and kind of seeking that mentorship from, from other nonprofits that are in this space, um, how quickly did you arrive at, at the mindset that, you know, Tom, that you just mentioned, understanding that, that, and Jen, you said it too, is this idea that, that a nonprofit is, is a business, right? And, and a lot of people hear that and, and they, they may be, you know, probably from a place of ignorance, feel whatever they feel, right? Like, oh, you know, nonprofit is, well, I just want to help and I don't want to make money and, and, and I don't want to, you know, nonprofit, I'm not trying to make a profit. Like, how, how quickly were you able to, to really understand what a nonprofit is and how it should best function in order to generate the revenue to serve the community? Was there any sort of individual mindset shifts or adjustments that needed to be made? I know a couple that, that tipped it off for me was, was one, you can't rely on volunteers. Yeah, yeah, they can show up when they want. They don't have to show up when they want. You're not paying them, so you can't rely on them. And we tried to rely on them up front. Um, two business, uh, four business partners that came and, and talked to us that, that we went out to talk to about funding us said, you don't make enough money. You're not paying yourselves enough money. This is ridiculous. Nobody's going to come do this job for that amount of money. You won't keep them very long, and you guys won't stick around very long. So they jumped in as a sort of a business partner with their donation, said, here are your salaries. That's what you'll make. We'll cover your admin costs. You go get money for everything else you need to do. And that really made it e not easy, but less difficult for us to, to mutter our, muscle our way through and find find more money to, yeah. be able to do these things. Once they set our salaries that keep that, you go on, we'll go help you get more money. You go get more money. That, that kind of turned the road for us to allow us to full time. Well, and the mindset you talk about is critical because I came from a commercial space. So 
when I did a, an ad for Nike or something, I wanted to be compensated for that. And I competed at a level where I wanted to be paid, um, you know, handsomely for that work. And then you, you get into a mindset for 13 years of money is part of the play. I mean, it is, I, I, what I did and what you do, it requires very expensive gear cameras, $30,000. I don't think people understand that, you know, they think it's creative arts, but you might have $150,000 worth of equipment sitting next to you. So it was constantly about how can I get the next big job? How can I bill for it? What, um, what resources can I bill or double bill for? How can I, um, keep my, studio afloat in this way. And so the mindset does change. And and initially for me, it was really hard to ask for money because I still was in that mindset of Nike or earbuds or, or these brands that I worked for. Um, and I, back then you were billing for a skill set. Now I'm like, can you please give me money? Cause I'm trying to help these people. And I felt like I was fundraising for me, even though the money wasn't coming to me, it was coming to the organization. But I felt like this, this beggar with my hand out, like, I'm not providing you with an ad or a billboard or, you know, some piece of something that I'm going to give you in exchange for this money. I'm just asking you to give me money with nothing in exchange other than it's going to make you feel good and maybe you can write it off. Um, That's a hard point to sell. That's a hard sell um, because you have to show proof. And if you're just starting, there's no proof. And then as you're doing it and you're asking for people more money, oh, you've only been doing it two years. Well, what's your 990 look like? It probably looks like shit. We just started, right? (laughs) And then your 990 can look great for a couple of years. And then you hire more people and it goes to shit again until you, you know, those transition phases and people look at your 990s and go, I'm not giving you money because you're doing something wrong versus (laughs) the whole picture. So you have to walk up a lot and say, help me, I'm poor, you know, and hand out your money with as much background detailed information as you have. And, and luckily a good background of people that know where you came from and, and kind of want to be part of that as well. So that's the tough part is getting. Yeah. But I think even cash just out of people's hands, you know, this last year, our mindset changed again. I feel a whole lot more comfortable asking folks for money. I do it all the time now. We've been doing it for six years. Um, and I know that I'm not asking them to give me something for nothing anymore that's not my mindset. My mindset is you got to do the job that you got to do because other people went into the job you didn't want to do. So yeah, you got to be an executive at, at Nike for what or whatever company because you didn't sign up, you didn't serve. Um, you got the all the benefits of freedom um, to pursue whatever job you wanted to and other people sacrificed. So I have no problem now saying, what is that worth to you? What is that CEO position worth to you? And people have no problem giving at that place because they sit there for a minute and they go, damn, you're right. I've loved watching her change through all that. I've changed through all that, like in this direction. She's changed in this direction. You need to be harsher. You need to tell people what, you know, and I used to do that all the time. And now I'm like, "Uh, can you tell them? (laughs) And she's grown up a lot doing that. Um, And now I just kind of watch her go to work and it's enjoyable because I don't have to do it. What is that shift like bit on that note between between the two of you, Tom? Say more. Like, what, what is that? What 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 have your observations led uh, to for you in terms of uh, your role and and the way that you operate? I came into it like I was our major. Let's I'll tell you how to do this right. And um, entered into a world of crap I didn't know. I knew all the peripheral things of how to get there and what to do, but I didn't know the intricate details of things she would tell me. And so I was very resistant up front. Like you don't know what you, you know. Trust with someone I haven't worked with in that world, and I don't know that world, so I'm afraid of it. We worked together in the R&T world, and that was my world, so it was comfortable. Step out into her world, I'm like, like, hey, what are we doing? You got to pay attention. You know, turn into a pirate and start talking like that because (laughs) you get nervous. Um, It's terrifying for me. And so I was aggressive about it because that's what I do when I get scared or shameful or worried. I get aggressive. Like, all right, let's just do this, you know. And so learning that through her calmed me down a little bit. And I think watching me spin out of control sometimes for things that needed to be or to get a little loud or, or abrasive with some people who aren't working fully, you know, early on, that was heavy for me screaming at people, you know, and then realizing you can't scream at people, you're not in the military anymore. So I shifted over to the loving, you know, conversations should be behind the phone going, no, 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 you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I think you need to, you know, so I've learned a lot to of communication of different types of people yeah. versus screaming at all of them. And I think she's learned a little bit of, of, putting her big boy pants on and saying what she needs to say too along the way versus it's okay. It's okay. Yes. A little less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are the kind of like the calibrations 
you know, my wife, my wife and I run a business together as well. And so we're constantly having these conversations, right? And you just calibrate moving, moving forward, right? It's like this, Tom, as you're speaking, I'm listening. I'm, it's this, you don't have to be perfect on the next one. You just have to get a little bit better and calibrate yourself t- towards the, the short-term goal, the midterm goal, and then the long-term goal. And just get a little bit better each time. And maybe you'll get a little bit worse the next time. And you're just kind of that, like, added, that old adage of two steps back, one step forward kind of thing. And, and, and being in a new environment where, you know, obviously you and I have very different skill sets from the military, but we both come from a similar enough background where there are frameworks that we have, as you've already spoken, that can work in these new environments, but they do need to be adjusted. And if they're not adjusted, um, you'll get that feedback pretty quickly that that framework's not working exactly the way that, that you thought that it might. Yeah, you have to learn to communicate in this world as much as we hate it. The TikTok world, I'm on my phone all the time. And whether you have to send them a text, I, I do that to my stepson and son sometimes. Like they're, I'm watching them and they're not paying attention to what's going on. I text them, look up. And they're like, <laughs> and they set their phone down. I'm like, you have to reach them in a different way. Yeah. Um, people see people screaming on the internet now. You have to deal with those people. Yeah. You know, the purple haired people that want to come to work, I mean, they're workers. You know, you, you can't freak out on people because of their hair color or what they wear, you know, jewelry on their body. It's, it's one of those things like they're workers, they're humans, you know, you got to respect that. And that's something that you have to learn coming from the military. Yeah. 25 years of like, literally from my world of you express yourself through fashion and everything like that. And you get in the military world. I'm like, they just take the individual straight out for reason, for reason, but it is, it's an adjustment. I think right down to what you wear every day, right down to the language that you use. We have our COO um, serve with Tom in the unit, um, but he just spoke with us. We were at SOCOM, the three of us on Monday talking. And, you know, what's interesting is you can know someone and then they get up and they speak and you're like, oh, I didn't know that story before. And Chris did that a few times. But what was interesting is when he left the unit, he took a desk job and he talked about how difficult it was to go to staff where he would, you know, use a lot of words that he probably shouldn't use. Someone would start crying in a meeting and he's like, wow, I can't talk like I did at the unit. That system worked. The way that we spoke to each other, the way that we had this understanding doesn't exist in this room anymore. And so there's there's a ton of adjustments from the way you speak, the way that you listen, the way that you give orders, the way that you take orders right down to the the clothes you wear it all it all matters those with the difficulty in in making it in this world other than on the range shooting i'll show you what i've done my whole life right they're staying that that's fine some are stuck in that you know when they get out and they can't transition if you will they can't calm down and they're like well i want to you don't talk like that and they force their own ways they don't make it (laughs) chris had a horrible job of in the military of being a green suitor over to still a green suitor working with contractors and it was all acquisitions. How do we get better Kevlar? How do we get better helmets? How do we get it to the guys? And he had to deal with the paperwork people. We have to sign this block. It's not the right one. Start all over. And he's freaking out with it, banging on the desk going, get it to them now. Get it to them now. And then work on the next thing. And they're like, but we can't do that because of the paperwork. And so he had to really learn how to calm the hell down and talk normally or he was never going to get anything done. Yeah, that's Jen. That's one of my favorite things about the industry that you and I come from. The one you know that I'm in and that you come from is when you're working in advertising, right? There's all the different pillars of an advertising agency. You have client services, you have strategy, you have creative, you have production, right? There's more, but those are the four main ones, right? I love working in production um, as an executive producer because I have to understand a little bit about what client services does because I'm constantly client facing. I have to understand what strategy does because I have to know that the creative needs to be downstream of that and the and the production output needs to be downstream of that and then same thing with creative right and then being being an ex subject matter expert in production but it forced me early working in you know i came out of film school and i wanted to be the next quentin tarantino christopher nolan whatever but then i started working on sets and got into advertising and i was like holy shit there is a ton of value in working on the business side of this of this industry because yeah. now i'm going to learn so much more about how to speak to so many more people which will allow me to make more shit that I want to make. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I want to, coming, coming back to the fundraising thing, I don't want to harp too much on it, um, but, but I do, like people don't understand that money itself is not evil. It is a tool, right? And it is something that, that we need. We live in a capitalistic society um, and it 
for better or worse, it's the best system that we have to do the things that we all get to do to serve our community the way that we want to. Right. And so I just want to underscore that for folks that, that fundraising is difficult because it is weird to ask people for money, but money is the tool that we all need in order to better serve this community uh, and, and different facets of, of this community. Right. Um, so as you were doing your research and as you were having these conversations, um, with folks that were kind of helping you to put these, these things together, what was the next step? What was the first action step after the, the research step to, to file you've, you filed, you've built it, it exists. What's next? Well, we, this is why I recommend for people to go into a heavier fundraising, um, portion earlier. Like you said, I think I had an unhealthy relationship with money myself. Tom had an unhealthy relationship with money. Um, and so starting off thinking, like you said, money's evil, it's dirty. It's this, I don't know. It feels, I think to some of us, it feels like a, an unworthy pursuit or less integrous or something when you're in the special app or in the military sector, and then you're trying to help veterans money becomes very um, a matter of trust or distrust very quickly. Like we've seen organizations that take the money and they use it in inappropriate ways. And it totally, it, it destroys their organization as it should, but it also destroys the trust. So for us in this community, we wanted to be very, very careful. So we fundraised it. That took about two years to the point where we could actually do programming because our programming is so expensive. We're not buying coats or Kansas soup, which are totally noble um, members of service and doing things like that. We, we are working to save lives. We are working to save marriages. That takes a lot of money and resources. We hire licensed clinical professionals to come in and do that work. We, like Tom said, we can't utilize volunteers in our organization. We can't have some guy get on the phone with another guy who's about ready to take his life and feel comfortable that he knows what he's doing. We have to bring in the pros. They require a lot of money. We have to pay them. So you know, this goes into this area of as we got started, 501 filed, we start handing out resources as much as we can because we weren't the providers. We were the facilitators. Check out Warrior's Heart. Check out Boulder Crest. Check out Mighty Oaks. And it wasn't until two years that we really decided we want to be the facilitators. We want to do the programming. So at that point in time, we had to go into really heavy fundraising because we knew we need X amount of money because we want to reach X amount of people over X amount of time. And so with that, we were able to have really clear goals and we were able to fundraise, I think, in a very meaningful way because we were able to show our donors and our potential interests. This is what we're trying to accomplish by one, two and three. And they got that really. We had the confidence. We knew what we were doing. We had a passion behind us. And quite honestly, I will tell you, as we fundraise, the number one thing that we hear when we walk away with a six figure check, because it happens often because we walk into the room with passion number one. We believe in our mission. We love our mission. We love the people that we serve. And that's what comes through. Even more than the PowerPoint we set down in our numbers and our data and our 990s. Sure, money people want to see that. They want to know that you are utilizing your money correctly. But what they really want to see is what's behind your eyes. And if you have passion for what you're doing, that will take you further than, than just a good PowerPoint presentation, I can promise you. That uh, kind of realization that what you were going to be spending the funds on was going to be expensive, um, was, is that something you learned during that research phase? Like you spent that two years and you're like, listen, all right, here, here's what we're doing is going to cost money. So we need to get comfortable real fast asking for these things this way. That wasn't something you kind of learned. Okay, that's great. Yeah, that's tough. Um, <laughs> you got to get on the internet, licensed clinical social worker. How long have they been doing it? What state are you in? They're, they're working from home. So is that less money? You know, what do they make a year and are they contractor versus employee? And once you've done contractor, they're making 150,000 or 170,000 a year doing contracting. It's like, we need to bring you on as an employee now for like 90. <laughs> you see how hard that is to, to give yeah. up that, that, that contracting position. It's good for us. Cause it means, you know, you don't have healthcare, you have to provide and things like that, but it's hard to kind of manage a bit. So it's where's that money come from? And so, you have to think things like how to manage all that money throughout the year so you don't run out. Right. How we, many appointments a, a month or a week or a day can your coaches take? How do you do that math all the way through? Make sure you have enough money at the end of the year to still continue on. Hence business part. Yeah. <laughs> all well, of yeah, those lovely financial officers that we employ and uh, the spreadsheets that we get to read. But again, that's the business side of it. 
Yeah, I mean, as it's it's just I'm curious because you know, Tom, because of, of your background, what you did for 25 years, and then and then Jen, you know, with your kind of more creative side, and obviously you ran a studio, so you understood you know the the basics of these things, but like you all picked up really quickly, really deeply, like how this had to work. Like, where did the I know where the interest and the passion came from, but where did the mindset come from of, all right, we have to dig in and like research how much clinical social workers make. And like these, like those are things that, you know, like you said, Jen, most people should be like, oh, I have a good idea. I'm going to file 501c3 and start serving people. Like where did the, where did the dig in come from for you two? Production. I guarantee you it's from my back, my background in production. It's so Production so detail oriented, as you know, and I mean, all you deal with is spreadsheets and Excel because you've got how many directors are, you know, who's the director, how many people have you got shooting this, your locations. Production is so incredibly detail oriented. And so I'm very detail oriented and, and kind of perfection based based on the 13 years of doing that. And Tom obviously has a history with perfection and driven um I don't want to use the word like motivation because I think motivation is bullshit. Cause if you wait till you're motivated, you'll never do anything. It's if, perfection driven aggression. She doesn't is, want to is, say it, but that's what it he's is. He's got the aggression part, but <laughs> it really is like, I think that we're both really detail oriented people. So we didn't, we had a big idea, but then we got really quick into drumming down to what are the basics? What are the details? What are the finite pieces that we better have in place? And that comes from a really simple thing. It's called Google. If you go to Google and you start typing, like, how do I start? Literally, how do I start a nonprofit? I was typing things in like that. Or how do I file this? And then I'd get on the phone with an attorney and say, do I have it right? So I wouldn't go to them with, you know, $3,000 worth of questions. I try to figure out 2,500 of it on my own and then say, check this for me. So I, I just think that mindset of, what are the details? What are the little pieces? Because as you know, in production, the little piece could screw you up really bad if you mess it up, just like in combat. The little piece can mess you up pretty bad if you get it wrong. So I just think you have to be really detail-oriented and and don't wait on motivation. Because if you wait yeah. to feel like it, you just won't. You all the won't people do that you need, stuff. All the people that you need to help you too, like lawyers and, and you know accountants and things, they can start out as, as volunteers. Yeah. Like we had a lawyer donate his time to help stand up the the, mm-hmm. non, the nonprofit. So he did two all them. Them, yeah. two of them. They got together and they did all the legal work for us. We didn't have to pay for that. So that was very helpful, you know, and then it her is. being marketing. I mean, honestly, if people don't know about you, they don't know what you're doing. You're not going to go anywhere, get anything done. So marketing was really powerful. Glad you said that too, because I will tell, tell you to people who don't have the skills of like marketing. They don't, I don't have that skill. Fine. A lot of people don't hire somebody that does. Because I will tell you, I still go to nonprofit websites and I know they're doing good work because I know them. But when I go to their website and it looks like it was put up in 1998, you know, and and it just looks terrible, people don't trust that, you know, they're so I think even to the level that we had Tom's credentials behind us, of course, that matters. You know, you have a CSM from Delta saying I'm helping military. But literally, that's where it stopped. That is where it's like I joke. I'm the poster boy. Come on in. And people like attracted to Ooh, you did what? And then you get them in there, you know, using the brownies. And then they're here. Here come the peas from Jen. Here's, here's, well, your, here's your vitamins you needed, by the way. Our coaches. Our really, coaches do. Yeah. But... Yeah. yeah, you're a good poster boy. You, you need a poster boy, but you also. Um... It's the experience. It's the experience yeah. that I went through that people connect with. Totally. And I think like kind of what we're underscoring here is the the powerful combination of different assets coming together to serve, to, to execute the mission, right? To, to kind of use that military parlance, right? It's like, Tom, you needed um, analysts and support and everybody to come in so that you could get on target, right? Jen, we needed client services, strategy, creative in order to produce. Production is a little bit creative, a lot of bit logistical, right? All the things that people don't see, they're like, oh man, that's beautiful work that you made. I, you know, that that's 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 an amazing highlight reel of your year. Like all that work is great. It's like, yeah, the creatives did that. I did all the boring shit that that nobody saw. And and you were right, Jen. Like 
I worked with business affairs and lawyers to ensure that usage was correct. And all this shit that nobody even like knows about or cares about, frankly, are the things that kind of build the foundation that allow us to do that, that public facing, consumer facing, client facing, um, veteran serving work that it is that we want to do. And so, you know, I, I, I love this conversation because it, it is, it is really triangulating all of the things that need to come together and an understanding that different people play different roles at different times in order to move forward. When I hear from military people, like I don't have the skills for that. I'm like, you've never planned. You've never thought three things. You've never ideated. You didn't do an AAR when you were done and figure out how to do it better the next time. It's just apply those skills here. They might be called something different, but you have the background to start, call it something else and, and then plan forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, just adjusting those frameworks, like understanding the frameworks exist, but learning how to apply them and applying them through experience. You know, it's not philosophical. It's it's applied. It's <laughs> applied learning as you actually build something, you know, and on that note, I heard Jordan Peterson said something. I heard it years ago. I'm sure he says it a lot, but it's like, don't give away. It's different for the lawyer that was helping you, obviously, but but, you know, don't give away your services for free. Because you think that you're not, if you think you're not worth what it is that you're putting forward, then the people that you're asking for money will, will think the same thing. So charge your value, charge what you're worth. I want to come back to the, to, to the, the funding partner that helped you understand that for yourselves for salary. How quickly did, did that kind of kick in for you where you're like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. We need to make a salary. We need to operate from this place of you know, um, abundance rather than this kind of, you know, you know, place of, 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 of famine, so to speak, you know, trying to find the right word there. But, uh, the, the, the question being like, was that a, a quick adjustment for you to say, oh yeah, no, this makes sense. Now we can move forward. Or did, were you still in that phase of, of like, I, I don't know. You know, I will say it was two years of the foundation. Tom was, we were not paying ourselves at all. Um, just like most people don't when they start a nonprofit, which I think there's another cautionary tale there. I hear so many people that are like, I thought by 12 months, I'd be able to pay myself out a salary. Just look realistically at the market and know your financial situation for your family before you dive in. Because for our family, I'll be quite honest, we got to the point where we had 83 cents in our bank account because we were putting all of our personal money into the nonprofit. I wasn't working because I was literally well, I wasn't working anymore in commercial advertising because I was spending 40 to 50 hours a week at All Secure. Tom's still contracting all over the world trying to make money. And so I knew we were going to be at a breaking point. We could not continue to go on with me not pulling in any revenue, working 60 hours a week. Tom flying all over the world, still doing contracting, trying to catch up when he's back. And so I knew we would fail. If, if it was going to continue to go down this road, we would not be able to sustain our family, our lifestyle, therefore the foundation. So when this partner came in, we had approached them. Um, we, we knew that they would probably come in as one of our donors. Um, I did not expect them to come in at the rate that they came in. Uh, they're a large corporation. They support the military, um, but they're very private. So they don't often put out who they support. So for us, we just, we thought, okay, we'll get like 10 K from them or something, you know, like we'll get a nice donation that'll keep us going another month or two really in that famine space of like just survival, survival, survival month to month. And when we sat down with them, they loved our idea. They loved our concept. They loved our passion, all of those things. And then they asked us, what do you pay yourselves as a salary? And at that moment I was like, almost proud, like nothing. I don't pay myself anything. We've put all of our personal money, you know, we've almost bankrupted ourselves starting this because we're so passionate about it. And they're like, and you'll fail. And you will fail this way unless you have a dedicated CEO with a dedicated CEO salary and a COO with a dedicated COO salary. You guys are toast. You're done. You won't be here in 12 months. And so knowing that it's like, okay, great. Now, how do we do that? Because it's we want to fundraise for our programs. We want the money to go to our people, not Tom and Jen. And even though there won't be an all secure without Tom and Jen, we're running it. So it, it was a really difficult, weird time um, having this organization, this company come in and say, we've got you. Um, we're going to donate to the nonprofit, but under this condition, Tom goes full time. Jen, you go full time. We're going to pay your salary so that you can legitimately build this business of helping others. It 
without them, um, which I wish they would not want to remain anonymous because I'd love to sing their praises. They've had our backs every year since with the same kind of dedication and the same check because they know they're very smart business people. They're very successful business people. And they know this has to be run like a business. You have to pay yourself a salary. Um, we don't have crazy salaries. We've never given ourselves a raise in, in all the years that we've been doing this. We just, we know our value, um, but we do not feel like the whole secure foundation is the place where um, you make your money like other nonprofit leaders where, you know, it's like, if you want to make additional income, I'm not the person anymore that feels like money's evil. Go ahead, get yours. Um, don't do it in the sector of service. That's my only, that's my only complaint I ever have in this world is when you see very, very large CEO salaries. It's just, that's not me, but you do need to put food on the table. You do need to be able to every month have the confidence of, we have seven, um, almost seven, we have six coaches now that we are, you know, responsible for their livelihood. And you get to this place where you have 10, 12 people that every month are relying on you. It becomes a little bit of a different situation than, you know, six, seven years ago when it's Tom and I. It becomes terrifying. Yeah. But you have to make money now to pay these people who rely on you to have a job. So it turns from a passion to, hey, we got to go into, hey, let's just do this passion thing to, oh, this is a business. And oh, by the way, we just brought on more people. And if we fail this, we don't want to these fail people them. need yeah. other jobs and they have families. So it's one of those that adds that stress level of, oh, now we have to do this. There's no turning back. And, and thank God we love doing it. Yeah. yeah. We talked earlier that uh, motivation is not the best tool, but what kind of momentum did that give you? to carry forward, to then build the team? How did you map out how to build the team, to bring on the coaches, um, to bring on the the, um, the the rest of the team and, and all the services that you, that you do provide? I'd like to hear a little bit about the emotional momentum there, because it sounds like there's definitely something there. And then definitely that the, the kind of tactical momentum as well of like, all right, cool, now we can build some shit, let's go. I love that you said movement too, because it's motivation, momentum, movement, all of these things. Um, motivation, the reason I don't like that is because I don't, there, there's times I just don't feel very motivated. I, I don't want to get up and send 50 emails and, and get on a bunch of, you know, Zoom calls. I'm not motivated to do that maybe that day. Um, but the movement um, that is created, it's just like working out. You know, when I became a runner and I would run three to six miles a day, but the day I didn't run was a shitty day for me. And so it's because you get used to the movement or the momentum or the push forward, whether I wanted to run, whether it's raining, snowing, whatever I want. And I did it. It's the same thing with this business. I think what the organization that started us off with that big fat check, it did create uh, motivation, a little bit of that feeling good, that emotional state of, yes, we've made it. We've got a little bit of security. They just bought us an entire year. Yeah. Um, that kind of, um, weight off your shoulder, that kind of like uh, financial freedom to go. Now we can really be a little bit more pie in the sky. Now we have a little bit more area to dream because when you're in survival mode, you're in this tactical place of pushing forward, pushing forward. You are not in thrive, you're in survive. And so it gave us a little bit more space to dream, a little bit more space to give us some time because we hired fast. We fired slow. That's a mistake. We've learned now to hire slow, fire fast. Um, that, these are all lessons that you just... Everybody could tell you, I could tell you in a podcast all day and until you experience it and you step in those shoes and we hired a CEO, we brought in a big business guy because we thought, hey, we don't have that skill set. We never were big CEOs and big organizations. And, and we ended up having to fire that person because they didn't have the movement forward. They didn't have the motivation. And we learned we could do this job. We're putting ourselves in a box that we don't belong in. We could be CEOs. We just need to learn that skill set. We just have to learn what to do. So the movement was every day, whether we wanted it to be or not. The emotional space was amazing because it provided us this freedom to dream, um, the space to breathe a little bit. We did make mistakes early on. We hired people that we shouldn't have. We let them stay a little bit too long. Um, you make it personal versus it's yeah. business. Um, it's easy you become emotional. Uh, and so you have to, that's the part is becoming unemotional, removing yourself. And it's a business act. Um, that's tough. That's very tough to do. Yeah. And then yes. that slow process of finding the right, finding the right fit for your organization. 
What's the um, what's the makeup of the organization in terms of folks from the community, um, folks not from the community, folks from uh, who have you know the kind of subject subject matter expertise from a, a psychological and kind of a counseling and, and social standpoint versus folks who've maybe also um, been in the same field. How how do you how did you map that out and how have you kind of moved moved through that? That's a great question. I don't, I don't know if we mapped it out via who you come from. We were looking for military. Special ops military people that understand it, but when we hired a CEO, it's okay military background, but we know we need CEO business here. Right. Coaches, you know, our licensed clinical social workers, those were the human connection. Like our first one was someone mm-hmm. we went to for a long time, and and it's the fifth one we probably had gone to for ourselves. And she worked out so well that she was the first one we brought on. I was like, okay, you work for yeah. this hard case, you're going to work for these other folks. And then from there, we found other people interested had our first coach trusted her to you know talk to yeah. them i like them i don't like them so that's a process of okay now we talk to them you know are they personable are they doing a thing and so we'll put some other folks through their process to test it they'll come back and report to us hey it was good it was whatever and so that's tough they're not none of those were military our, our, like i said our first well, coach had never touched the military in her life two of our coaches are from a former military mm-hmm. uh organization i mean they uh, inpatient facility yes. so they've left that inpatient but so they've so worked they, with them yeah but her first time. one had nothing to do with them and she was she was apprehensive and when she finally took him on she was happy she's like listen all these civilians i've been working with for years like my cat doesn't go to the bathroom right you know she goes they don't do the work i give them because we give homework out she goes your military folks that you send me when i tell them to do something they do it and i go yes just order them to do it and they'll do it you know don't even float it by them just tell them so she was excited about it and then we started rolling in people with more experience with military but it was all about that personal connection and that understands the relationship matters. The relationship is what's kind of key and important. And it matters. I will tell you over the last six years, we've had both. We've had people who had, well, let's just hire them for their experience on the outside. They have very little to do with the military. I would spend six months training them up and trying to explain who a PJ is versus a green beret. And I'm like, this isn't working because they don't, not only do they not understand like who comes from where and what comes from there, they don't understand the mindset. They don't understand. It's, it's just too much education um, for a small organization. So what we look for now is at least an understanding or some kind of background in military and then some kind of experience, whatever that may be in graphic design or, or, uh, you know, like our videographer doesn't have experience in military. He doesn't need to have experience in military. He's holding a camera at our event. I tell him what to shoot. Great. Good. Do I have to help him in the edit? Yes, because he doesn't know exactly what we're looking for, what the military is looking for. So it's just a combination of hiring the people with the right skill set that maybe don't have to have a military background. Our accountant doesn't. Um, he's a fantastic accountant, though. So that's what matters. Um, our seven licensed clinical social workers do need to have an understanding. So it's just I love that our new COO worked with Tom and they had a, um, a working relationship in the unit for years and years and to see them work together now in this outside sector is really interesting and fascinating um it'll work well for some operators and it won't work well for others i've heard that as a disaster scenario as well so yeah and that's 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 true for any prior service anything going into any new field right like it's like we talked about before you probably have the frameworks and and you need to figure out how to translate them and 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 tell your story and and you you will or or you won't or or you'll find the best way to do that and and that works well in some environments and doesn't work well in others really at the end of the day all organizations are human systems before their x system right so in in this case it's your organization is a human system before it's a a veteran service organization right um and 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 that's that's the kind of key thing to understand all these relationships are reciprocal and everybody has a role to play back to that back to that framework right like there's guys on target there's the analysts there's the support team everybody has to be working in the way that they're working in order for the mission um to to be accomplished um all right, I want to I want to respect your time, and I've got kind of one open ended question that I end each episode with. Um, but I want to give you one more opportunity to just chat about anything you you wanted to to let us know about. Um, but where can folks find you? Where do you want to drive traffic um, on social channels or to the website? Um, donations, any of that kind of thing. How can we support? Where do you want to drive traffic? I think first and foremost to our website, allsecurefoundation.org. Uh, we are on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter is All Secure Foundation or All Secure. 
we have a program called Virago, V-I-R-A-G-O. Um, it's for the uh, wives or the women who are in the special operations community, um, mothers, wives, uh, daughters of, so that's called Virago. And you can find all of that on social media if you can find us on social media. So that's why I always tell people, go to our website. It has all the information. You can learn how to get support if you're a special operator. Um, and certainly uh, with donations down 85% globally to nonprofits, we absolutely would love your support and the donate buttons right at the top. Um, we are a 501c3. Great. Yeah, we will. Um, I will. Uh, I'll connect with Lauren and, and you and we'll I'll tag every all those accounts. We'll collaborate with those accounts. So all the all the reels and everything can run together on all the channels so we can get kind of get all this out and and uh, we can bring our, our communities together uh, in terms of following. And then we'll definitely link out the, the website in, in the show notes. Um, okay. So to, to end each episode, I ask an open-ended question. Um, and it's, it is what, what's on your heart and your mind for our community right now could be a piece of advice, something you want to get off your chest, something you want to reiterate um, that we've already talked about today. Uh, but what's on your heart, what's on your mind? What's on my heart and mind is typically what's always on my heart and mind. This is the thing that holds all, um, our warriors back is nobody cares what you did unless they need that skill set once you get out. So cut your ego and leave it at the door. Have to get rid of that ego because when you get out, no one cares what you did. No one knows what you did unless you're spouting it off or they need that skill set and then you have to spout it off. So understand when you get out, you're not where you were. It's going to be a punch in the face. You're going to have to cut that ego and meld back into a different society. Good one. Um, you know, I think my message is pretty consistent, but there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Um, we've had a lot of suicides lately across the board from Rangers, Green Beret, SEAL community, all across the board. Um, and it's increasing. So what I'd love to say is if you are out there and you're listening and you feel alone, number one, you're not punch that button. We're here for you. You've got brothers and sisters that are there for you. You're never, ever, ever, ever alone. That's number one. You're never alone. Um, number two, there, there are people that care about you. We care about you. Um, and lastly, I would say if, you know, this happens all the time, if you're thinking of one of your brothers or sisters in arms and they, their name just kind of pops in your head and it's random, it's not random. It, it, that's very specific. It happened for a reason. Pick up the phone, send a text, call, email, however you feel comfortable reaching out to that person because that name was dropped to you for a reason. So don't ignore that. Pay attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, Jen, sincerely appreciate your time um, and your energy and what you do for the community and uh, for the organization. I'm really excited to um, to uh, put this episode out and, and share with, with my audience and uh, hope we get to do this again. And shout out to Joe Barnard for connecting us. I'm glad oh, that, yeah. uh, that happened so that we can uh, we can have this conversation. So I really appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, appreciate Gary. it. All right. We'll see you.